Thanks for joining us on the fourth episode of our series, Reproductive Health Equity in Pharmacy Practice. Over the course of four episodes, we'll be covering a range of reproductive health topics alongside pharmacists, activists, and community members across the nation. I'm Brianna Luna, a college student and community researcher for Central Valley Voices for Access. We're an academic-centered research team focused on expanding access to family planning care in Central Valley pharmacies and removing the stigma around reproductive health. You can learn more about us on our Instagram page at Central Valley Voices for Access. I'm joined by Sally Raffi, who is a pharmacist specialist at UC San Diego Health and founder of Birth Control Pharmacist. Dr. Raffi has a long record of research and advocacy in the field of reproductive health. In this episode, we'll be talking about youth-friendly pharmacy services. Our first guest is Don Downing, who's a clinical professor for the University of Washington School of Pharmacy. Most of his work has centered around improving community access to quality healthcare services. Our second guest is Maddie Bavasso, who's a recent graduate of American University and is passionate about contraceptive and abortion access. Throughout college, she organized with Advocates for Youth on the hashtag FreeThePill Council, a council made up of youth activists from across the country who are working in their communities to bring birth control over the counter, covered by insurance with no age restriction. She's also an abortion doula and is working on completing her full-spectrum doula certification. Thank you so much for being here, Dawn. Um, Can you speak about a couple of youth-friendly pharmacy services, like the types of service that are provided and what the target demographics are? Sure, I'd be happy to, Bree. Well, when I'm asked that sort of question, the first thing I think of what kind of services could be provided is um, you have to get um, youth into your pharmacy to begin with. I mean, you can provide all kinds of services. So one of the one of the first youth-friendly pharmacy services is to provide a pharmacy website and the environment within your pharmacy that's safe and attractive to youth. Because anything else that you do is really not going to be accessible if um, if they won't come in and or if they do come in and they see it's crowded and and there's not much um, privacy, then they may just walk out. So uh, providing privacy, providing messaging online and in the store that this is a youth friendly place. And um, and and I think that's one of the first things to do. Um, Certainly the. the pharmacy counter is often a place of congestion in community pharmacies. And so even though during the pandemic um, this past year, we've all become more accustomed to social distancing, the um, well beyond the pandemic, before and after, um, allowing privacy at, at a pharmacy counter by strictly enforcing a, a distance, a reasonable distance away from the pharmacy counter for the next patient to wait uh, is very helpful because I, I, you know, think about being a, uh, even as, a, as an old guy, um, I like to tell my, my pharmacy friends when I talk to them about youth-friendly pharmacies about, well, let's just put you in a hospital gown with, with a back that's partly open and make you walk into a pharmacy and fe- tell me how secure you feel walking in, feeling like, um, you know, you're at risk walking in. And, um, and uh, so anyway, that environment to me is, is really, really important. So some of the basic services um, 
for youth-friendly pharmacies really stem from that in that um, in my work, we've often done what's called shelf talkers in pharmacies. These are these little notices, usually advertisements for discounts or things that are on sale that are on the pharmacy counter uh, shelves. Um, and But some of them should be about, hey, um, uh, are you a teen or or a young person? Do you have a question that may be too embarrassing to ask? Here, just tear this sheet off and bring it to the pharmacy counter and we'll take you to a private place. And so to me, I mean, just getting people to the point where they can even begin the conversation is an important youth-friendly service. And um, I, I think that's very helpful. Um, I also think that um, another friendly service is to make sure that the pharmacist is working with local uh, uh, medical providers, local uh, patient advocacy organizations like Planned Parenthood and others, and also school nurses, so that we're all on the same page, so that they, they can recommend your pharmacy to youth because they know that you keep those secrets, you keep things private, and you're not going to wag your finger at them as being, you know, you shouldn't be doing that sort of thing. Um, and I think that coordination among um, uh, community pharmacies and other members of the community is very, very helpful. You know, there's some kids that are, uh, you know, even if they go to a school with a school nurse there, which is not all that common anymore, um, sometimes there's a stigma with waiting in a line in a hallway at a, at a school. And um, if, if the students know that, you know, there's a similar opportunity for assistance, from a pharmacy that's a block or two away from the school uh, where they can go and it, they're more autonomous that way. And so I think working together that way, and then you, you can make a decision with your patient and with those other providers to share information if everybody's on board with that. So um, certainly um, around reproductive health, contraceptive advice is really important as well as the products themselves. But also, um, in, in my work over a couple decades now, I found that people who come to us for reproductive health services sometimes bring with them concerns about coercion or abuse, uh, including um, people who come in who are too afraid to go to their doctor or the emergency room or to, or to police who were raped. And... Um, and coming to a pharmacy off for many people is a friendlier place than any of those. And so just being uh, prepared to manage a person who comes in who's young and afraid, who's been raped and know exactly what to do and what not to do, and to help provide a warm handoff maybe to somebody in town who, um, um, who can take care of them in a more um, complete way uh, is, is a great, um, you know, triage role for community pharmacies. But this means that they have to have done their homework in advance to make sure that those, those, those are warm handoffs rather than just, well, you know, you should go see your doctor. Well, if that was that easy, they, why did they come to you? You know, so anyway, making sure we, we deal with that. And in states that will allow it, I also think, you know, we talk about reproductive health, but I think we also need to talk about sexual health. 
where um, an, a sexually transmitted infection may be the issue or concern about one. In youth, uh, chlamydia infections are, are very, very high and growing all over the United States. And sort of like COVID in youth, where oftentimes people are asymptomatic when they're young, chlamydia spreads a lot because it's um, asymptomatic in a lot of people. So getting screened at a local pharmacy and being able to be treated there if the test is positive is just one more of those services. So those are a few of the things that we've worked on and, and, and pharmacies might consider. Thanks so much for all that information, Don. I mean, you talked about not only the what we can provide, but also the how and the why. Um, I'm curious if you have more to say about the why. You know, why should pharmacies step yeah. up in this space? Why should pharmacists uh, get involved in providing this care? Sally, that's a great question. Um, and <clears throat> I think there are a lot of possible answers. Um, I mean, I suppose that on a very thousand foot level, you go, well, why would I, would I, why would I as a pharmacy owner or worker want to do this when I have a very busy pharmacy and this is going to take resources to provide? But, you know, there could be a financial, if you can bill for services, then maybe they would. But I think mostly that people are operating from a different level, and that is, wouldn't this benefit my community and the youth of my community and the community at large if I stepped up and provided these services. So given the fact that pharmacies, community pharmacies are much more accessible than medical offices or emergency departments or whatever, even the urgent care clinics, they're all pretty scary uh, places and may be unfamiliar to people, but people are you know, go into a pharmacy for a lot of reasons. That's one way you can maintain your autonomy because you might be there for anything. Um, walking in, you have more autonomy than walking into some other place. So I think a pharmacy, if they understand, if they've done a needs assessment of their community, that um, they, um, they should appreciate the fact that there are a lot of things that a pharmacy can offer. You know, and one of the things that, of course, that have has driven a lot of my work is the rate of uh, teen pregnancies. Um, and while they've been dropping uh, around the country in, in the recent decade or so, uh, due largely to increased access to contraception, increased access isn't equal across the board. There are a lot of people of color and low income who, who may find access to be difficult. And I think a pharmacy operating at the top of their skill set can provide um, services that would improve contraception rates and therefore lower teen pregnancy rates. And because 50% or more of teen pregnancies end up in abortions, that could lower abortion rates in your community. And I think a community ought to be supportive of those things. Um, so anyway, those are those are some of the whys. Um, I, I, I'm, I, I'm really pleased that a lot of pharmacists I've talked to think those whys are, are important reasons to be involved.
You just mentioned sort of the willingness and motivation for pharmacists to get involved in providing youth-friendly pharmacy services and specifically providing sexual and reproductive health services. Do you think that, you know, the folks you've talked to are representative of pharmacists in different settings across the country and different pharmacy settings, whether it be an independent or a chain or even a mail order? And, and how can pharmacists in different settings, you know, how can we motivate them or get them excited about getting involved in this work? Well, Sally, I won't pretend to, to know how everyone feels about it, but my years of uh, consultant work with Advocates for Youth in Washington, D.C. gave me an opportunity to interview pharmacists in, in communities in Arkansas, North and South Carolina, New England, um, Eastern Oregon, Eastern Washington, um, which have many immigrants, uh, recent immigrants or um, farm workers working in those locations. And, um, <clears throat> and in downtown Washington, D.C., I, I spent a lot of time consulting with the highest teen pregnancy rates in the United States for many years were from teens living in Washington, D.C., living in three of the wards, which are primarily uh, immigrants and people of color with low income and um, high rates of teen pregnancies. And um, I did find a difference between pharmacies' response about providing youth-friendly services in urban areas versus uh, rural areas. In rural areas, um, I, I was amazed at the personal, uh, you know, positive reception that I received from pharmacists within those pharmacies. But there was always a accept at the end of the sentence. And the accept was, I'm, I'm afraid that the social mores or the expectations of a my pharmacy is that I'm not going to interfere with a, a youth's parent relationship or a physician youth relationship. And that um, if I talk to youth about sexual and reproductive health services and guided them that I might be encouraging them to be more sexually active at a younger age. And so I often got this, you know, if I did this, it's something I'd want to do. If I, if I were to provide these services, goods and services, I would personally uh, really enjoy doing that. But Don, I don't think our pharmacy is going to be able to participate because I think that our community would come crashing down around us. And some of the physicians they say that they work with are very conservative. And they have also indicated that they may not be supportive of pharmacists providing these services. Finally, the, so that, that's common, more, much more common in rural areas. But across the board is, how are we going to pay for this? <clears throat> if I, if, I want to provide it, but, but I've got to be able to justify it to my boss or if an owner I'm talking to, my bookkeeper, about why I'm spending all this time on things that I are losing money for me. And so, you know, payment reform is also something that needs to happen. And, um, and that's something I've also worked maybe on another podcast on another day, we talk about that. But um, these are barriers, these are barriers that both uh, social, 
um, and financial political barriers that, that do exist. With pharmacies uh, losing money, uh, filling most prescriptions today, they have skinny staff. They don't, they don't have enough people really to do what they're already doing. And so asking them to provide these additional services sometimes leads to them saying, boy, I'd really like to do that. But as you can see, I am so busy. I don't know how I can do it or I don't have a private area, whatever. There are, there are those ex excuses, but that hasn't kept a number of us in this field from working to change that situation. There are definitely barriers and you touched on, on some of those. I mean, the, the payment being an underlying root cause that limits a lot of what pharmacists can be doing, not just with regards to youth or sexual reproductive health services, but just obviously a root cause for, for our, our limitations. Um, also other authorities that we may or may not have would be root causes. Sure. You know, the other payment side, Sally, if I, if I may, jump in here is um, how can the patient afford it? And, um, and, and I'd like to mention the fact that, um, that we need, we could use pharmacy stepping up and understanding how they can leverage the Affordable Care Act, or if their state has a Reproductive Health Parity Act that says that over-the-counter contraception um, can be paid for if they have insurance in this country is it's on the surface. It's a great thing, but how you actually uh, implement uh, submitting a claim for an over-the-counter item through a pharmacy, although not impossible has is, is difficult enough that in a survey that we did in Washington state, which arguably is very progressive in terms of reproductive health access, um, less than 12% of the pharmacies in the Seattle metropolitan area were actually billing uh, for contracept over-the-counter contraception. So for example, if it's a um, plan B over-the-counter or one of the generics of it that are available, I mean, even with the generics, most of them are starting around $40 and the brand may be closer to 50. And for a youth who finds it, who's heard that it's billable through insurance, doesn't exactly make it accessible if they take it to the pharmacy counter and they go, I can't give this to you for free. Well, you're supposed to bill it to my insurance. Well, where's your prescription? Well, it's over the counter. It doesn't need a prescription. So we need to get over that. I mean, we could, we could be the catalyst to say yes rather than no to that person. If a pharmacist knows how to bill it by adjudicating that claim, um, then in fact, the price goes from 40 or $50 down to zero immediately. And therefore access goes from no access to immediate access. So billing insurance is, is fraught with you know, its own intricacies. One of them being is that if, if a person, if a youth if a young person has insurance, their family's insurance, is their family going to be notified that they're buying contraception from the pharmacy because an explanation of benefits, EOB, comes back to mom and dad, and if they're not emancipated or they, have, they haven't shared their sexual activity with their parents, then in fact, pharmacies need to know how to suppress those EOBs. 
So in, in my state, we have, we have had interviews with every single insurance plan operating in the state of Washington and charted the pathway to suppress EOBs for youth who want to buy contraception and they don't want their family to know. So that, that can happen, but that's an extra step. And I think that's a youth-friendly step that doesn't, you know, um, look like a youth issue, but it is. Um, and, um, and the other thing we can do is we've learned how to uh, legally um, have two profiles on a patient. Some, some computer systems have bunched family members all together. And if somebody wants a printout of, uh, for tax purposes at the end of the year, if this um, teen in the family's record comes out and it shows contraception purchases, then in fact, the jig is up and we violated the trust that that youth has had in us to keep this private. So um, we've worked with our state pharmacy commission to, to find ways to create a second profile that, that does not print it out with a family profile, that just is the profile for the, for the young person getting services. And so they're, they're, the secret and trust is kept. And uh, so I think states could consider trying to do those things. These things don't take, they take a few moments of time to figure out, but you know what, on a day-to-day -day basis, it doesn't take all bigger staff to do these things. It just takes know-how. And, um, and these are things that technicians can help um, get the, everyone in the pharmacy up to speed, the clerks, uh, the technicians, assistants, whatever, um, and get everybody on board so they know exactly how to manage this in a youth-friendly way. I'm so glad that you brought up not only those policies that we're working towards, you know, some states going towards these uh, equity acts with coverage for over-the-counter products, yeah. and that being kind of one of our ultimate goals to also have over-the-counter options for patients to choose from, um, and also these you know, privacy issues around insurance. And some states have also started to, to put in policies that allow patients to really uh, separate the, the, the evidence, uh, the statements that go to patients for those private services. And I think yeah. those are all steps in the right direction. But I love that you gave us actionable steps that our pharmacists, our pharmacy techs, anyone working in the pharmacy can start doing today within existing policies and structures that are just patient-centered. The code to claim credit for the CPE program is RX752. That's RX752. So Maddie, tell us a little bit about yourself. So I grew up in Concord, North Carolina, which if you know anything about the reproductive health and access landscape of North Carolina, it's a pretty conservative state. Um, and I had a really bad sex education experience in the public school system, which really motivated me um, to get involved in reproductive health and justice. So I became a peer sex educator. I worked with our local health alliance. Um, to work with school nurses and teachers to create a more comprehensive sex education system. And then for undergrad, which I just graduated in December, 
I went to American University um, and that's where I got involved in Advocates for Youth. And I was a part of their International Youth Leadership Council, but also their Free the Pill Council, which is a new project by Advocates for Youth. And it's a partnership with IBIS Reproductive Health. And it's just advocating for affordable, over-the-counter oral contraceptive without parental consent um, and without the need for a prescription. And so it's a cohort. Some It ranges every year how many students are on it. Roughly 10 students can be on it at a time all over the country with all different birth control needs. And they just push for accessible oral, oral contraceptive over the counter. So that's a little bit about me. Um, why do you think partnering with youth to do a project like this is important in distributing um, contraceptive? So Advocates for Youth, obviously in the name, uses um, youth activists all over the country to share their stories about why the issues they're advocating on are so important. So they really emphasize the importance of storytelling. Um, and that's where we see a lot of change happen. So someone's much more likely, a legislator's much more likely to be behind an issue if they're hearing personal anecdotes from a person impacted by that issue. Um, and you can have a much more compelling reason, you might, are much more passionate about the issue at hand when someone's directly impacted by it. Um, and so having youth at the center of it is really important. And also a lot of times people undermine young people's ability to take oral contraceptive over the counter, for example, or to have an abortion or to receive comprehensive sex ed, a lot of times they kind of demote their maturity. And so when you see these young people organizing these great campaigns and really being at the forefront of it, it kind of eliminates that need to downplay how powerful and mature they are. Absolutely. I think it's really important that young people acknowledge that they do have agency in these situations and are able to um, have access to this need, um, regardless of their age or background. I think it should be accessible for everyone. Um, what are youth-friendly pharmacy services that we can see implemented in pharmacies that would make this process easier? So right now, there's not a lot of youth-friendly pharmacy services. There may be cases of pharmacists in local areas that are really passionate about youth access, but there's not a larger scale that we can see where a young person who maybe like hasn't researched this before can go to a pharmacy and know that these services are available to them. So some youth-friendly pharmacy services would be informational materials at the pharmacy, like a talk, like an opportunity to talk to a pharmacist about the questions they have. I think even as a young person personally, I didn't really ever talk to a pharmacist if I had a question about pregnancy or STIs or use of condoms. And a lot of pharmacists are willing to talk to people, whether young or not, about these options. There's just a barrier and also there's an intimidation of sorts because pharmacists are known as these very busy people in the community and they're known as these professionals and a young person doesn't really feel that empowerment to go talk to them. So I think one of the best services that pharmacists could provide would be a way of like informational materials and kind of eliminate that barrier that exists between them and the people that they are serving through communication. 
Maddie, do you have any suggestions for how our pharmacists can be less intimidating or create a more welcoming space for youth? Well, I think right now, um, young people enter pharmacies and they think of it as a very adult oriented place. They think this is where my parents, my guardians go to pick up medication for me. And so when you walk into a pharmacy, you don't really see young people's faces on advertisements. You don't really see young people language. You don't see things that are really catering to young people. I know when I enter my local pharmacy, there's a lot of things for elderly people. You know, you have pictures of older people on advertisements. You have a lot of advertisements for things such as like heart health medication and things like that. But you don't really see a lot of advertisements for birth control or um, STI treatment or um, contraceptive in general, such as condoms advertised in pharmacy. So when you're looking at advertisements and things that are catered to young people, you don't really see that at all. So making the pharmacy a more welcoming place. Um, and then also um, something that would be really great would be like time set aside to answer questions because you don't really think that you can go up to a pharmacy counter and talk to somebody about these issues. So really making that space, and I know pharmacists are very busy, so it's very difficult to do, but making that space for young people to come talk to them would be really great. The research I did with Dr. Catcher was following a 2018 DC law um, that was passed and received a lot of attention in the reproductive health community. Um, and it was allowing DC pharmacists to prescribe birth control. Um, so a person would essentially go into a pharmacy, talk to a pharmacist when they had time and get their birth control prescription from them. Um, and it was always, oral contraceptive um, of the traditional sense. So like an estrogen based contraceptive. Um, and so my research with Dr. Catcher was going into the pharmacies. I went to um, almost all of the pharmacies in DC, which DC is a small place, but they have surprisingly a lot of pharmacies. Um, and I interviewed pharmacists about their willingness to prescribe birth control over the counter, their capacity to do that, and just their overall thoughts on the law. And overwhelmingly, pharmacists, if I could even schedule a time to talk to them because they were so busy, um, overwhelmingly, pharmacists felt like they didn't have the time to start prescribing things to people or they had concerns about, you know, they're gonna prescribe something to people, but then are they gonna now have to answer all these questions following up once they prescribe it? Like, will they be that contact person, you know, if someone's feeling, you know, different side effects from birth control, if they're feeling nauseous, if they have weight gain, will they have to be the point of contact for that? They were really worried about their capacity to answer those questions following the prescription. And they were also very hesitant to prescribe birth control to young people. They were worried about their ability to do that with, without parental consent. Um, and they were worried about young people's ability to manage birth control prescriptions. Um, and so, like I said, overwhelmingly, it was a negative reaction just because they didn't have the capacity to um, really follow this law. And I had people after my research kind of ask me, oh, do you remember any pharmacists that were really into it, that were really willing to do it? And even those who kind of thought positively about the law and they thought it was a great thing, kind of felt that 
personally, they wouldn't really have the ability to do that or to do it to its full potential, to really be that point of contact um, and prescribe birth control. So following that research after it was analyzed and um, put into policy briefs for advocates for youth and really used by Dr. Katcher um, to kind of push legislation a different way, personally, um, that's what made me really passionate about over-the-counter contraceptive, that a young person or anybody could just go and get birth control over the counter without having to need to talk to a pharmacist because it eliminates their intimidation of pharmacists, but it also eliminates the overworked feeling that pharmacists already feel and not being able to follow that DC law. So that's where I became really passionate about over-the-counter contraceptives. And so Maddie, we've been working across the country in different states on getting pharmacists the ability to prescribe contraception. And then there are these parallel efforts to get some birth control products available over the counter. What else could we or should we be doing in pharmacies to increase access? Any other ideas of what we can work on in the future? Yeah, I think... Um... I think something that would be really great, both with contraceptive and emergency contraception, would be a way to make the buying opportunities, whether it's over the counter or through a pharmacist, more confidential for young people. Because um, I know a lot of young people, the confidentiality of buying birth control is a concern of them. So I know there are a few efforts about like emergency contraception card where you hand it to the pharmacists and it kind of has it discreetly written out what you're asking for. I think things like that would be great to just maintain a young person's confidentiality um, when purchasing either emergency contraception or birth, just oral contraception in general. Um, cause then it would allow young people to feel more comfortable in those spaces and feel like they can go to a pharmacy and not have people look at them for buying contraception, even though there's nothing wrong with it. A lot of those stigmas still exist, especially in rural areas. Thank you for tuning into this important conversation. We hope you'll join us for future episodes. Pharmacists who would like continuing pharmacy education credit for participating in this program, please return to the podcast page on birthcontrolpharmacist.com to claim your credit.